Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Chef's Meal, where we talk about whatever and never and everything else in between. Ready for some more content, some more videos, some photos, extra extravaganzas? You can now head on over to our Patreon account, Where the Goodies Lie. Patreon.com slash pork and wine will give you all the extra good bits that we don't even post anywhere else on social media except for Patreon.com. Head on over, subscribe. We would love to talk to you and just give you some extra feedback and extra, extra of everything. Just extra, extra of everything. <laughs> Again, patreon.com slash pork and wine. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, thank you again. Coming at you with another pod uh, here live, actually, and a special guest, Mr. Dan Reeves from the Spiritual Underground podcast. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm really glad that you're all reconnected through here. Since uh, making some connections with a few people, other podcasters is a little bit new to me. I'm uh, learning a lot really quickly. There you go. Now, essentially, if you don't mind, can you just tell us a little background and why the podcast? So, uh, and this gets to be, uh, I always hesitate a little bit because it's, it is so vulnerable to, to say this, but uh, in 2014, I was caught, uh, I, I had been drinking and doping most of my life and I, and I got uh, caught breaking into houses, stealing pain pills. Uh, I thought I was mm. going to prison. Uh, judge here in my local town and my prosecutor and my lawyer all were convinced I was going to prison. And wow. uh, I'm, I, I came into the 12 steps of uh recovery, which, you know, were, were, came from the beginning of uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, and I worked those, and I never spent the day in jail, and it, and, and I really don't know exactly how that happened, mm -hmm. but uh, it, 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 it saved my life, essentially, and so now I have a, which happens often, I have this uh, desire now to carry this message and help other people who were in the same kind of shoes I was in, and, and that's how the podcast began, is because we do it by telling each other stories of recovery and sharing that, and another person can hear that and possibly identify and think, you know, if it have if, if it, if it worked for that guy or gal, it can work for me too. Mm, wow. Good for you, man. I know it's a, it's a big step to, to get help and to, to get yourself in that center. So kudos to you, man, for real. Well, thank you. Uh, we kind of get a little bit, uh, uh, there's a little hesitancy to like take some congratulations for pulling yourself out of the gutter in a way, but I, I no, do, I do understand what it is too. You know, uh, it's funny how we kind of say, you know, people who are doing the right thing all along don't get any accolades, but the guys who, uh, like took my path and, 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 and straightened my course, uh, mm -hmm. we, we get a little congratulations. And for the guys who've been doing it right all along, nobody pays any attention to them. <laughs> nah, not at all. It's, it's the, it's the whole effort that goes into it. So even, even if you're doing well, yeah, people will still acknowledge it. But yeah. if you're doing if you're not doing so well and then you pull yourself out of it. Wow, that's that's big. Congratulations altogether. So don't take any lightly. Congratulations, yeah, right. man. Well, thank you, man. Thank you very much. You know, and then on the flip side of it, what happens now is that I'm able to I have this gift that I can pass on to other people and uh, and to be able to step in and pick a guy up who's where, who's in the who's in the trenches of, of alcoholism or addiction and to walk them through this work and watch them transform their lives. And then uh, subsequent to that, the ripple effect into their parents, their kids, their relationships with their significant others, their employers, and just watch a whole new being blossom 
and come like you know the like out of the proverbial uh, phoenix out of the ashes kind of thing. Uh, <laughs> that's actually where my that's that's where my passion lies today. We say we have a primary purpose, and today my primary purpose is to carry this message and help other people's re- other people recover from whatever happens to be uh, ailing them. There you go. Now I hear a little accent. Where Where are you from? If you don't mind me asking. Yeah, that's funny because uh, I say that all the time. And, and actually, my local people around here. I was born in New Albany, Indiana, which is basically a suburb of uh, Louisville, Kentucky. It's the Indiana okay. side of uh, of Louisville. And uh, and even my my peeps here, my friends here, will say uh, things about my accent. If I meet somebody local, they'll go, "Where are you from?" And I'm like, "I'm from here." <laughs> you know, I, I don't I'm know just where I picked this up, but uh, but it's interesting because it's a it's an ongoing little thing, and 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 you know, uh, I just embrace it. <laughs> yeah, no, it is what it is. Like if you um, you can definitely tell people who are from New York also on like different suburbs of New Jersey, at least from where I am at. Yeah. And you're like, where where are you located? And they're like, they'll tell you, like, ah, oh, okay, that's where the accent's coming from. Because yeah. there there's an accent no matter what. And I just I truly appreciate people that have accents. So I <laughs> for me it's, it's a, kudos to everybody. It's an interesting thing that that you know how you're how we uh how we speak differently according to where we're at. And I guess it's a learned thing, but uh what's on mm-hmm. what's funny to me is that that I get it here in my own home, you know. You'd think my people here would would not ask me you know that question mm-hmm. uh, it just doesn't make a lot of sense so you're from the east coast you're from jersey is that yeah i uh, i reside in new jersey right now and sometimes the accent do come out uh, but i i did live in new york for a little bit and i also picked up that accent so sometimes it kind of bumbles together yeah but the funniest one though i'm asian uh-huh. that accent comes out and it's just <laughs> hilarious Oh, that is, and, and but your name is this? A, is your is this a username? No, no. This is a <clears throat> this is more of my nickname because um, my my real name is Kristen Henrik. So it's okay. it's a right. part. I'm part Spaniard, so we have four names. Yep. In Spanish households, it's I don't know why they do it. It's it's whatever. Yeah. Um, but four names typically is what we have. But I condensed it to just the two letters. Yeah. So it's a little bit easier to say than uh, you know the whole. Yeah, for a little while I was on the you know, when I first started playing around on the internet. Well, actually, for years I, I kept a pseudonym, and and I, you know it wasn't that I was hiding behind it. I just wasn't comfortable putting my real name out there on some places, and, and still oh, I got kinda, you. I'm kind of like pushing that up to the side now. I have a YouTube channel that that I did a lot of work on. It is under that mm-hmm. pseudonym, and I've kind of put a final. I drove a nail in the coffin and turned the corner on it. Uh, but uh, just decided to start using my real name. Um, there's a little bit of some uh, hesitancy to do that with the with the twelve steps. There's what we call the twelve traditions, and one of them is a principle of anonymity. Mm. Uh, so you know, and it's it's you know I got to protect other people's anonymity big time because I can't you know I can't out somebody Correct. else. But uh, but I'm Absolutely. allowed to I'm allowed to out myself. The only caveat there is. Is uh is and I think it's a little antiquated. Is there's a perception that let's say I would uh, relapse, mm-hmm. and, and 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 I've let myself be out there, just exposed at this level that I am. That there's some that you know some it could be uh, it could be seen. There could be a perce- perception that the twelve steps failed. You know, and I mm-hmm. and I really don't think that. You know, I mean somebody. Uh, we don't think that about any any other area of life. If somebody you know, if somebody passes away from cancer, we don't think the medical system. Correct. Uh, yeah. You know, you go you go have a bad meal. You don't think that the entire uh, restaurant industry in that town, you know, is is awful. <laughs> so I don't know. Mm-hmm. That. So uh, I listened to one of your podcasts and uh, I heard the. Uh, 
um, it's based around a restaurant business. Is that what I understand? Yeah, yeah. So I own a restaurant and I'd like to share because I, I've been looking through the, the podcast kind of world, right? And it's not that it's too into the food. And even if you are talking about food, it's all about the glitz and the glamour. I wanted to share the actual ins and outs. So for my podcast, we talk numbers, we talk variances, everything that a normal restaurateur slash chef would do. I explain it into detail, but in a funner way, you know, we, we make light of it. Yeah. And just just to give you that glimpse that it's not just that what you see on TV There's right. a lot more into it. So people kind of get a little backbone into uh, the things that we do. Yeah, yeah. I was listening to it now when you got into the numbers and that kind of thing, it went right over top of my head. You know, I, I wasn't yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, not being a restaurant guy. Uh, I do have a couple of really close friends here in town and that are in recovery with me. And one of them is a, uh, was a, was a chef in one of the big restaurants here in Louisville for a while. And that's actually how he uh, ended up hitting his bottom was working in that industry. Mm, he's still does a telltale sign. Yeah, no, yeah. it's, um, seems to be yeah. a lot of, uh, drugs and alcohol in that, uh, back in the kitchens in some places anyway, at least I don't have any personal experience of it. I just hear that. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a normal occurrence, but it shouldn't be, but we, and I don't like talking about it like that because we, we work so many hours to begin with. So to cope kind of, and I'm assuming I, I don't, <clears throat> I don't do it per se, but I know a lot of my employees do. They'll go out drinking and do drugs and stuff and to each their own. As yep. long as you show up to work, it's fine. Yep. You know, but, the fact is, is that not everybody uh, crashes and burns. There's where you can actually, mm-hmm. you, know, you can, you can, you know, it sounds a little bit funny. Now, obviously we can use alcohol responsibly and many, many, many people mm-hmm. do that, right? Uh, it's a little bit funny to say the same thing about the drugs, you know, but the fact of the matter is, is you could, you can use that responsibly too and continue on. So not everybody runs. Yeah, absolutely. The so, uh, yeah. yeah. You can use it as a recreational thing. It, yeah. It's not, they, it's not all bad. Yeah. They say there's some place around 10% of the population that, that can't handle it. And so, you know, that's a fairly small piece of everybody. Mm-hmm. But it's definitely in the kitchen. Like when, if you've ever, if you've ever followed anything on like, Facebook or YouTube or <clears throat> pretty much anywhere, um, drugs and alcoholism in the restaurant is like ninety percent of the time. It's oh, it's wow. a normal it's a normal thing and it's it's horrible. But like I said, to each their own. I don't I don't mess with any of that. Um, and as long as my employees come to work, they can work and they can do uh, what needs to be done of them. I don't care. Yeah. But if I catch you doing it during your shift, uh, you're pretty much fired. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I don't tolerate any of that. You can do it outside. You can do it on your break. I don't care. If you're in my restaurant, in my building, um, I expect you to perform and not do any of that. So, yeah. Makes perfect sense. Now, let's get into the food, if you don't mind. I'm always curious about what people eat and how people have eaten. Now, it's a, it's a good thing because, one, you, you were in recovery, right? And you are currently still... Because yes. it's a, it's an ongoing process. It's it's right. you're not it's not you're not you're not doing it, and then you get into it, and then you just take a break. You have yeah, to. We say we're we're it. never really we're never really cured. It's a it's a one day, it's a one day at a time thing that I have to I participate in my recovery on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Now, how was your food consumption before? If you think about it, just take a moment. Yeah. What kind of foods did you eat? You know, during and then like right now. Yeah, it's a, and so there is actually a story behind that of, uh, you know, 
I, I was, I grew up in a family that just, I just like everything. I even kid around with my kids, you know, they can't name a food that I don't like. Uh, a little bit of a a, uh, aversion to people who say, well, I don't like this and I don't like that. Okay. But so, but my eating habits really fluctuate with when I'm using, you know, because what actually usually happens is I stop eating uh, Mm -hmm. and I I dump a ton of weight. Like when I, I usually run around 200 pounds. And the last time I came into my very last time uh, before my current sobriety date, I was down to like 155 pounds. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's a lot. Uh, and, but, you know, having taken better care of myself over time now, uh, I actually have pulled around and, and, and eat what I consider to be really healthy, especially considered considering, uh, the way I, the way I did eat, uh, I can get away with a pretty bland meal, but man, I still do love food. Uh, yeah. <laughs> good, good food is, is good. Uh, today I, most of the times when I eat, most time I have some kind of protein, like a steak or a chicken or a, or a piece of salmon and some mm-hmm. green vegetables. And I keep it pretty doggone simple when I'm running. Cause I don't really want to take the time. It's probably some laziness and, uh, <laughs> but you know, the one thing, another cool thing that happened is, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I will be 50 in August. Mm, wow, God bless him. And I was married for 17 years. I was with this gal for 25. The the drinking and using ended up taking uh, taking that marriage away from me. Mm. Uh, I gave it up, you could say. Uh, but when I got married, my mom, who was always a really good cook, made my wife a recipe book of all my favorite stuff. Oh wow! Yeah, that's sweet. And and so like in a divorce, that was something that I made sure I kept. Now she could have a copy and write out, you know, whatever she wanted to with all of it, but I kept the mm-hmm. original. So I still make quite a few things. Uh, there's some, uh, there's a clam sauce and, and on a uh, linguine dish that I just love. And I made it forever. Mom made it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I go to restaurants and I eat it in a restaurant. I'll get it at a restaurant now. And, and I will say, you know, that's not as good as mine. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And, and quite, and, I, and I'm at a loss. Of, you know, there's a chili recipe in there that that was like passed down through the family. And um, but today, I keep I eat pretty simple. Uh, even when I go out, which is not very often, uh, I'm trying mm-hmm. to keep my my. You know, I turned that corner just a couple of years ago on that metabolism thing, where I can no longer just eat everything I want to eat and make yeah. a reasonable weight. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and I'm. I'm blessed with some pretty decent genetics. So I stay pretty thin for the most part. I'm mm-hmm. like three and 200 pounds. I'm probably about 190 right now, which is about where it's I need to No, wow. it's nice. Yeah. And I do a ton of yoga too. That's something mm-hmm. that to me in recovery. I do yoga three to five times a week. There so you go. Pretty heavy duty yoga too. So that allows me, but you cannot, another friend of mine told me, you cannot out exercise a bad diet. Correct. Uh, you know, that you is completely correct. Rear end off at the gym for hours and stop by a fast food restaurant and blow every inch of it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Every calorie you burned up. So, uh, you know, one of the things I do, another way I like to eat, uh, I do a lot of outdoor stuff. And man, I just love to cook over wood fire. Oh, yeah. Uh, Me too. Whatever's going on. There's something, uh, there's something a little, um, maybe a spiritual ritual kind of thing of you think back that how many, you know, forever uh, humans have been cooking meat over fires. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, that is a really ancient tradition, you know, kind of joke around about, you know, yoga is an ancient tradition. A lot of things are ancient traditions, mm-hmm. but sitting around a fire eating meat is one of probably the oldest ones. 
Yeah. Um, I have a little recovery retreat that I, I got a little piece of country, a little piece of property out here in the country in Southern Indiana, about 54 acres and it's in the forest and it's really cool. And I bring a bunch of my friends out there from recovery a couple of times a year and we spend the weekend mm. and, and cook. And this past weekend, that chef friend of mine, we cooked 25 steaks on a open hey, grill. That yeah. sounds great. Yeah. And, uh, and potatoes in the fire and, and all that. Mm. And, and there's just some difference. There's there's something about uh, there's there is something about cooking over top of that that open wood fire like that that's different than charcoal or, or inside the kitchen or anything. Mm-hmm. Like that. Uh, I just love uh, like camp food like that. No, it's actually uh, it's harder to cook on an open flame because one we can't control it. It's just constantly going. So it takes it takes a little bit of more effort and a little more uh, intuition as a cook myself. Uh, to know how to cook your meat or whatever it is that you're going on an open flame. Right. Because yeah. uh, in a in a restaurant, everything's controlled. I can control how much heat I can put into it. Yeah. Uh, or on a grill too, I can I can do the same exact thing. But on an open fire, um, you, it's, you have to be so meticulous with it. Yeah. And, you know, some of it is uh, you, there's no rule, right? So there's not a, like a three-minute rule each side or something like that. You have to have some kind of, like you said, intuition about how hot your fire is and be able to like mm-hmm. kind of, there's uh I guess really what it is it takes a lot of practice and from it really does yeah, where you have to uh sometimes the fire is nice and and there's a lot to building that fire and getting it into a, into a way that it actually cooks optimally too you know I, uh I, I consider myself I've been I've been like I said bumming around in the woods and doing hunting and fishing and boy scouting and just camping and stuff all my life so uh kind of pride myself on my fire building abilities yeah there you go there's nothing I always used to say um whenever I interview uh, other people too there's nothing better than food that you've grown or yeah. um hunted yourself because you you yourself did it and obviously if you're going to hunt for food that is all fine but um, we need to respect the animal or whatever oh, it is. Absolutely. But, you know, that's most people get it. But a lot of people where I'm from, like here in the city, they don't understand it. They don't even know what kind of how the animal looks besides from the TV. Um, so just to have that knowledge and to actually respect the animal when you do hunt it and then you partake in it, uh, it's a whole experience altogether. Yeah, I really believe it's uh it was important to me growing up knowing where my food came from. My my maternal grandparents actually they they owned and ran a processing plant, so uh, I knew my my meat didn't come from the star foam containers at Kroger. <laughs> uh, I hung around there and, and saw where that and I and I was brought up hunting and I was really brought up in a very uh, respectful once the Rick the hunt is a is a is an important ritual you know and we, and we mm-hmm. really do respect the animal and and you know uh i'm not a i'm not like what you would call a typical religious kind of person in that term but but mm-hmm. you know, this is this term this is really overused big time but but i do have some spirituality and i do believe in some kind of universal power some kind of spiritual power something is out there making this stuff happen i believe i don't know what it mm-hmm. is i don't understand it but uh but i thank it when it allows me to take an animal for my dinner and to feed my family and you know and and do that now i'm not a big uh i don't uh i frankly don't don't kill a lot of things it's just more i love to hunt but it's the flip side of it as i get a little older it's uh it's probably some uh, apathy and some laziness and uh, once you actually mm-hmm. down then the work actually begins because now you got to get it out yeah 
<laughs> and process yeah, it. Get it out. You gotta process it. You gotta skin it. You gotta wash it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know. I'll let my younger friends do that and give me a little meat nowadays more than <laughs> than than myself doing it. So, what does you put? To, what What does your restaurant specialize in? Oh, we are a fish restaurant. So, fish. I anything. Mm. Yeah, anything fish pretty much goes through my uh, my restaurant in and out. So we have lobsters. Um, we have swordfish, mahi, halibut, um, salmon, cod, haddock. There's there's a whole lot. We do calamari. We do um, shellfish also. I have a whole bunch of oysters, clams. Man, um, water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, anything fish related you can get, except for sushi. That's the only one we don't do, uh, only because there's a different ordinance. I don't know if you know anything. Um, about sushi or anything with a restaurant related when you have to do sushi the rice that we make for sushi um needs to be uh accounted for and presented to the state because it's a um it's like smoking meat uh because we can keep it in a restaurant for a prolonged amount of time um the state needs to know or uh, they regulate us on um like if you sold, let's say, 10 units uh-huh. at the end of the month, you need to say you sold 10 units or that one unit that you're missing, they're going to be like, uh, where is it? What did you do with it? So it's a it's a really, it's a fine balance that you can't really mess around with. Yeah, um, I had no idea that there was a higher level of regulation in that. Yeah, yeah. So anything smoked or anything that you can prolong to keep in your restaurant, um, the rice also for sushi, you can uh, keep prolonged. So you have to take note of it uh, and send it to the state. So it just have to be, that's why we don't mess around with it, at least for my restaurant. Yeah. Is that a, uh, is New Jersey? Is that a, is that a, is that, do you think that's specific to New Jersey or is that a, is that kind of something that's around the country? It might be, it might be universal, but different states and different towns have different ordinances. So I think it's a generalized one, but I'm not a hundred percent on that. Yeah. Interesting. I would have. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Food, food is, um, it's a horrible, it's a horrible experience for the chefs and the managers. Because <laughs> yeah. it changes, it changes every year. I have to know different processes, um, different regulations that I have to keep on track of, on top of what I do already, and it's it's a lot. So I don't know. It's I we do it for the love of it. That's, yeah, right. that's, yeah, that's well, that's uh, in that the universal thing. That's another one of these uh, axioms. I'll call them spiritual axioms, and I don't mean it in, again in a religious standpoint. More of just how the world works uh, is that you know find something you love to do and make make a living doing it, and you're 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 in line with your purpose. Mm-hmm. Now, are you uh, are you allergic to any kind of food? I am not allergic to any food. Nope. I do wow, have, nice. I have some. I have some, uh, I have some experience with that though, because my son has had, got a severe peanut allergy that we found out about, and that's Ooh. been man, that's been world changing to have a kid with a severe uh, food allergy, specifically specifically in the peanuts. You know, they're just everywhere. Mm-hmm. It's everywhere. Yeah, and you when you um, when when something is processed, most most items, and even in my restaurant too, I can attest to it. When people are allergic to peanuts or walnuts, tree nuts or whatever kind of nuts, we always say and really clearly, um, this is made in a facility that may contain nuts, even though that they made sure that it didn't touch nuts. They still process it in the building. We have to say it just in case they're that severe, you know? Yep. And um, 
Yeah, I mean, I've had, a label reader has been a has been a thing for that I didn't really want to accept when we first found out he was allergic. You know, you kind of wanted to poop mm-hmm. and yeah, now I'm a now I'm a label reader. And, and yeah, you have to. Yep, you have to. Yeah, you know um, the funniest one for me in the restaurant, and this is where I get mad. Right, I last night we had um, we had a set of parents with a set of kids that were allergic to fish. Mm, in your restaurant. And I'm a fish restaurant. Just let that sink in. Your kids are allergic to fish. You take them to my restaurant where I am 95% fish. Like, what is going on? Like, I cannot, I cannot guarantee the safety of your kids. Like, what is going on? And the server, my um, employee comes back to me and she goes, oh, it's fine. Just make sure it goes in a pan. What? What? That doesn't, <laughs> No. It, I am a fish restaurant. Like, what is going on? Like, what can I do to stir them away? Now, I get it. They must be. They must be tired. They just kind of want to eat something. This must be like the first stop or the last stop that they're trying to go before they leave home. They want something to eat. But I actually went table side. I was like, "Sir, ma'am, um, I understand um, your kids are allergic to fish. I will do uh, my best to not have anything touch." fish related but just you know your kids are allergic to fish don't take them to a fish restaurant like i straight up said that to them and then you kind of laughed about it i was like it's not a laughing matter um when i have to call 911 because your kids are having an allergic reaction i mean so they kind of snapped out of it um and they kind of got a little you know jolt of uh, reality right there but we we you know we made sure that nothing touches and they were fine, but still, if if you're one of those people, please, please, it's okay that maybe you're allergic, but if it's your kid's sake, do not, please, do not give them or give them any time of day to have um, that allergy to to act up on them. Yeah, right. It's not you know my my son goes into anaphylactic shock, and people once in a while will say you know, and I know they don't mean harm or whatever, but I know I can be deadly serious about it. They'll say you know, well, what will happen if he eats peanuts? Uh, well, you know, if we don't do anything about it, he will die. Uh, this is not like he's going to get sick or get the hives, and we're going to have a little uh, skin rash or something we have to deal with. Uh, and it's interesting that these. Um, these allergies have popped up in recent years. These food allergies being so prevalent in the past bunch of years. My son is 15 now. We found out he had this peanut allergy when he was nine months old. Uh, and back even just that far, that long ago, 15 years ago or whatever, 14 something years ago, uh, I really had not really known much about food allergies. At the level. I mean, you knew some people here and there that would have something, but man, now it just seems like it's just so prevalent to have something, whether if it's soy or if it's fish, you know, shellfish or something, I think is one that seems to be one that people talk about a lot, having a shellfish allergy. It's because of the diet too, though. Like if you, um, in the, in the Asian realm, I should say, over there on the East Coast, none of us are allergic to fish or shellfish because that's our diet. That's what we eat. Yeah. or soy or gluing because that's what we eat so it's all about diet so here in the states i think people um opt to not eat those uh things and they don't uh, have the, the the sustenance or the intolerance in their body to fight off of it when they do procreate and then their offspring cannot uh, handle that food but i get it sweet drone you can eat whatever you can enjoy yeah. it and partake to whatever you want but just know it, it all involves our diet yeah yeah, 
Well, I'm certainly glad that I don't. I, I really, I, there's a big blessing in being able to, and there's a big blessing to be able to like everything that I like too. You know, and I think that's a little bit of a family thing too. You know, mom and dad served it to me. There wasn't anything that they didn't like, you know. Uh, and then same thing happened with my kids is that we grew up and our, we raised them and we put stuff on the table that a lot of other kids wouldn't eat. They just ate it because they accepted it, you know, that that was food being put out there. And it didn't, they didn't really, they don't really have a lot of dislikes either, except for, you know, we do have to watch out. Both, both of my kids have nut allergies of one of a drink. My daughter, my daughter, not so much as, as bad, but you know, the funny thing is, is that because I had two kids that were 23 months apart, well, we just, uh, she is not allergic to peanuts, but we have a nut allergy family kind of thing. So when we would go to uncles and they'd say, which one, we just told them both. So my daughter to think she's allergic to peanuts when she's not. Now we have told her, you know, we have told her that, but it was just safe when they were little and, uh, you know, when the, you had them because you you couldn't go, you couldn't send my son on any kind of field trips or any kind of place where there's going to be food served or anything like that. Cause you just couldn't depend on other people to make sure that, uh, he was going to be kept safe. Uh, so we would always be on, you know, we, it, he still got to go. We just had to go with him, you know, to make sure there was a chaperone there that knew something about the allergies and also to carry the EpiPens and make sure that if something did happen, it could be. Yeah. Uh, I was just about to ask your son carries an EpiPen, right? Yep. Yep. Now he's old, you know, over the past, you know, now, of course, at 15, he's old enough to, you know, and has been for some years now, old enough to, to know better, so to speak, and could do his own EpiPen and, and carry himself and all that today. So, uh, but, you know, obviously that wasn't always so. Yeah, no, it's a scary thing. I don't know if you've ever had to administer or um, to put uh, EpiPen to your son, but I had the privilege uh, a few times um, over my career where the the guests are really convoluted on site and they were just like going and i'm like it's like where is your epipen now here's here's the funny thing you typically cannot administer the epipen to them even though they're going and having a reaction you need to get consent ah is that crazy yeah. like they're they're like gonna die in front of you but you cannot do anything unless they say yes you can use the epipen so to kind of in, and I'm kind of going on a tangent here, but we would take the EpiPen on their hand. We would, you know, we would make sure that we use their hand to inject it to themselves after oh, we wow. asked for consent. Yeah, yeah. It was an assist. Exactly. So it's not necessarily we're doing it. We're assisting them to uh, administer the EpiPen. Uh, that way, all the, le the, the legal stuff gets taken care of kind of a roundabout way because you know you don't want the person to die what are you gonna do you just yeah, gonna right. watch them go like no yeah uh there there's probably some liability in that too <laughs> of standing there and doing nothing you know and if nothing else there's certainly some liability to my soul for sitting there doing nothing yeah i cannot just not sit there we're also um in the business years you have to be certified on cpr also just in case uh that the uh 911 or the uh Texts get there a little later. You actually have to administer um, the CPR or the uh, the first aid care really quickly before any of the other help comes in. So it's like I said, it's a lot to be in the business. There's a lot that's going on, and uh, you need to be prepared for it. Well, that is interesting. I would have never thought some of that stuff about the uh, regulatory stuff around the. Uh, the sushi and and then uh, it just didn't dawn on me that you'd like uh 
you know, you'd have some health and safety training going on there. It makes perfect sense now. I just wouldn't have, you know, it just didn't cross my wavelength at any level. Yeah, all of us do. Since we're corporate too, um, we get renewed every two years. So it's like a constant thing like again and again and different procedures every other year. And then our corporate sends their procedures because we're a little more, you know, anal per se on our uh, on our uh, upkeeps and stuff. And they have a different set of rules that we have to follow. So, yeah, it's all fun and games until somebody loses. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, uh, and, and how long have you been doing this on your own? Uh, this is 18 years now. 18 years. Wow. That's 18 years. Well, you should should have a little bit of a uh, handle on it by now. But like you said, the rules, that, you know, that's the other thing about these regulatory bodies and stuff. I was in there for 28 years, and the same kind of thing happened there. The rules would change every year on what you could ASME codes. You had to just constantly stay up on it. But, uh, I get that. I, I stopped working there in March just a couple months ago, and uh, they actually laid some people off, and I was one of them. And it was just something that my heart wasn't aligned to anymore. So now I'm starting to do a little bit of my own business here, and I'm a woodworker, I always have been. So I built a wood shop a couple of in the backyard, and you know, uh, just starting to get out off the ground and start looking at, you know, thinking about all the implications of working for yourself and, uh, and, you know, uh, creating a corporation and what I got to do tax wise. And it's mm-hmm. not, probably maybe a lot. somebody else, I don't know. Yeah, it's a lot, but once you get the hang of it, you're, you're pretty, you're pretty okay. But one, a couple more questions to you, if you don't mind. No problem. Love to. Are you a vegetarian or a vegan? Have you ever tried it? I am not. Uh, I have a little, I joke around a little bit that I really feel like uh, meat is something my body that, that wants uh, <laughs> I eat protein in the form of a meat uh, all the time. Uh, I have been in this yoga community. I'm in, I'm, I'm surrounded by a lot of people who are vegetarians and, and <clears throat> uh, so I'm getting some exposure to it. Got it. Now, have you ever eaten anything weird in, in terms of proteins or any kind of produce? Man, you know, I've been, I've had some, well, that job I had let me travel all over the world, uh, sent me to Singapore, to Istanbul, to Thai, spent quite a bit of time in Thailand. Uh, I suppose some of the weirdest food is in Japan. Uh, uh-huh. some, of, some of the sushi in Japan. And, you know, one of the things is, and then this, this, uh, this thing I got where I'm not afraid to try things whatsoever. I just, I just don't have that food aversion to look at something and go, you know, I'm not even going to try it. I will try it. <laughs> Hey. some of the stuff i don't i couldn't tell you what it was really uh i do love thai food if i could go Ooh, anywhere thai food's good. on a regular basis uh it would be there we had that the company i work for had an office in bangkok and uh and and we uh we i got to go there on a fair regular basis and the food there just is out of this world I, I, there's no yeah. No place I'd rather. I guess one of the funny things that we've always eaten. I told you my fam, my mom's family was always uh, had their processing plant. So you know mm-hmm. that that term of eating high off the hog. You know, mm-hmm. uh, it's the low parts and the other parts that where the people who uh, are on the lower scale eat. It wasn't so much that we were on the lower end, but they sold the high on the hog stuff. So I ate a lot of beef tongue. And things like that. That's one of my very favorite dishes ever. And it's something that a lot of people think is weird, but other people don't think it's so weird. So, uh, 
uh, as far as something a weird protein to some to a lot of people. That's one of my favorites. Mm. It's not that weird. It's only weird to people that don't eat it. Yeah, that's like, right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, I grew up in the Philippines and Ophal, those are the pieces that the off pieces that mostly gets discarded or the butchers reuse them or repurpose them. Uh aka beef tongue, liver, mm-hmm. heart, tripe. Yep. You know, those things in other countries, those are cuisines. Those are actual dishes. Right. Here in the States, not so much, unless you're actually in the field or a butcher or knowing how to prepare and eat it. They, not not a time of day you'd see those. Yeah. My grandmother kept beef tongue in the refrigerator like bologna, you know, and she would keep it. She, if you might want to be, she, you know, you would, she would get it out and slice it like, like a roll of bologna and have a cold cut sandwich in the daytime, you know, for lunch. I mean, it was a, it was a normal thing around. So, and uh, they, yeah, and they ate a lot of, uh, you know, my, I, and I don't know the technical terms for it is uh but they ate a lot of the like the brains and and other organ meat that a lot of people didn't eat at all so i learned you know i, I never was too much on that i don't have really uh, i don't really know why uh but the uh the organ meats are some of, i love liver too that's one another one of my favorites but that's not so you know that's that's really fairly typical i think just some people have some I think it's the texture that gets most people on the liver. It's the texture, yeah. It's definitely the texture and the um, the irony taste because it tastes like iron. Exactly. And I, if you're not used to that, you know, people are like, "Ew, what is that?" But my, uh, I, I, you know, some of that stuff I ate in other countries, I still couldn't tell you what it is. Uh, I have no idea. One of the weird, one of the probably one of the hardest places I had to eat was in Korea. Uh, I, I why but the food there was always had this little twang to it and and some people would say like like it like everything tasted like it had some kimchi in it because yeah that's what it is yeah and uh has that little bit of a fermented sauerkraut Mm -hmm. twang in a lot of the food which is not my favorite i mean touchy but and i'll eat it if it's in front of me i I, first off i'm hungry so i'm gonna eat it But but it's not it's that 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 taste and even sauerkraut and that is not probably that's that's low on my scale something I'm gonna pick on my own if I'm if I'm getting to uh, to set my own plate. Got it. Now, one more final question to you: Have you ever eaten spam? Yeah, I ate spam for a week straight one time when yeah, I was. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Uh, I'll, I'll try to make that story as quick as I can. My dad always allowed us to do a lot of cool things this hunting and fishing. And the Ohio River that cuts through here, uh, when we were kids, my dad sent me and my cousin. We were 15. They were, he was trying to get us to go before that, but our moms wouldn't let us. Well, we pushed off on a 200-mile canoeing trip, and the only thing we oh, took wow. was bread and Spam. Spam. <laughs> and I didn't eat Spam again for like 20 years either. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, no, yeah, I joke with my wife because she doesn't pretendly uh, like spam nor the texture of it. But uh, growing up in the Philippines, spam is like our burger meat. Like we put that thing on everything as a seasoning, even because it's like salty goodness. Yeah, you know, I got another buddy who's actually a sponsee of mine. He's getting ready to do. He's he's got sober and he's changed his life and he always wanted to do some big backpacking trip and he's going to do the John Muir Trail in California. And I was mm-hmm. talking. To him 
frustrated about the food because he's he has to he's got a service that's going to place food restocks along this 200 mile hike for him. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have to carry it all, you know. It's just going to take him twenty about twenty to twenty five days to make this hike, and you just don't have oh, wow. food with you. So they re put these resupply points. And one of the things he said that he's using is because it keeps good, and it uh, and it's got a lot of protein, a lot of power, a lot of calories in it because he needs those calories for hiking day in day out. He said he'll be eating a lot of spam. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that's spam, man. Yeah, and he just told me that yesterday. You know, I was on the phone with him yesterday. He was talking about it, and you you bring up spam again today. It sounds like maybe some spam is in my future here soon. Hey, <laughs> no, this is like the last question I like to ask because one, I'm Filipino. I always always ask it. Two, not that many people know it, nor have the experience of it. You're actually the second person that I've asked that has eaten it um, and actually liked it, kind of, sort of in a way, but most of everyone that I've asked are like, ew, what is it? Yeah. Yeah. Most people do have an aversion to it. I, I, I like it. You know, it's awful salty, but, uh, yeah, it's awful salty. You gotta get the low sodium. Yeah. Maybe that's what I need to try. Uh, get that and give that a shot. I remember putting it on the grill. We were talking about grilling it. We'd slice it up, put it on an open fire and grill it a little bit and eat it on bread or just eat it just right off of the grill. There you go. Now, Dan, I don't have anything else. However, this is part of the segment of the show where I would like to ask you where they can find your show and how they can listen to you. Yeah, I am. Uh, the Spiritual Underground podcast is on uh, most all the major players, so Spotify and the iOS and the Google Play and all those places. So it's Spiritual Underground podcast. I also have a website that supports it. That's spiritualunderground.org. Uh, I have a Facebook page that's Spiritual Underground and uh, and Instagram. That's that's actually Spiritual Underground for the number four, the letter U, Spiritual Underground for you. Somebody else has the Spiritual Underground before me. But uh, the best for the part of the easiest place, you can just if you do that Spiritual Underground podcast, if you search that on uh, just in Google, it'll pop up the various places that you can listen to that. Oh, there you go. I'll make sure to link all the description below so you can find Dan and all his goodness. Now, make sure you guys check it out, uh, his podcast, and lots of good things in there. And you can um, hopefully uh, this episode will air fairly soon. But uh, just uh, all in terms, Chef Meal uh, airs every Monday uh, live in a restaurant where Sean and I, my sous chef, talk about our things in the restaurant. And then Thursdays where you can find Dan and a slew of other podcasters that I've interviewed and kind of go about their lives. So Dan, thank you so much. I understand the concept of time. I, I know I've taken 40 minutes of your time that you really can't get back, but I hope you had a good time with it. Oh, I have, I'm having a blast doing this whole podcasting thing. And so when you, when you approached me, uh, I was like, yeah, man, let's do that. That sounds like fun. Uh, one thing I'm good at doing is running my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> it is okay. I can do the same. Now, thank you so much. And uh, that's all we got.